0: Let's turn to chapter 9, if you would, this morning. We're going to be looking at this chapter. As you're turning there, let me just kind of briefly go over some of this. We've seen in the previous chapters the cities of Jericho and the city of Ai have been taken by Joshua and the armies of Israel. We can see that in reality, though, it was not the might of uh, the armies of Israel that caused these defeats. Uh, But in reality, it was God who was with them. This, among other lessons, are certainly something we see in verses chapter and 8. If God was for Israel, we saw that they were victorious. If he was against them, we see that they failed, just as with the city of Ai, because there was sin in the camp. This, then, of course, is an example to us. Uh, realizing that our victories over sin don't really stem from the great power that we may have. Now, it's true, we're not passive in our uh, fighting and warring against sin, against the flesh and the devil. Nonetheless, though, it is God who strengthens us for that battle. And while you're still in Joshua, let me just flip over to the book of Romans for a moment and read that principle to you. I quoted a little bit in my prayer just a moment ago. It says here, For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. If we. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Here we see that if we are to live, then we are to mortify the deeds of the body. That is, those sinful passions that rise up. Whether they end up being in the mind or being carried out through the body, the different members we have, we are to kill them. We are to put them to death. That's what the word mortify means. And you notice here, he says we do this through the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God is what enables us to do so. If he was to withdraw, well, we would fall into our sins, just as sure as David fell into his sin with Bathsheba. And so it's God who actually gives us the victory over these battles. And we must lay then the, uh, the praise at His feet rather than all of our activity and strivings that we are to do. Again, don't misunderstand me. We are to do those things. But again, at the end of the day, when we come down to it, it's really God who has enabled us to mortify sin. Now, this is what's taken place here is a very good, vivid picture of this or a type of this in the several chapters that we've been looking at. Joshua and the nation of Israel was very successful in defeating Jericho. But again, when they came to Ai, at first they were unsuccessful because there was sin in the camp. And then when that sin was biblically or scripturally, at least as far as God said, was taken care of, you remember they put him to death and the whole family of his to death then they were able to gain victory over Ai. Now, all of this that has taken place in these chapters wasn't done, as we would say, in a corner somewhere. The nations which dwelt there in the land of Canaan, the several tribes or nations, if everyone look at it, uh, that did dwell there, they were very aware of the victories. It's amazing how fast the news traveled at that day when there was no real form of what we would consider today like TV and news wires and, and internet. But the news traveled very quickly even though they didn't have all those means. Now they did have runners and they did have sort of a mail service in the sense that they would run to and fro and, and deliver the messages. And apparently the messages that are going out is that Israel is a very ferocious nation and they are able to defeat their enemies and woe unto us. Now, you remember previously, these nations, for instance, in chapter 2, they became very fearful when they heard this news. Look in verse chapter 2, verse 11, and this is Rahab speaking here, and she says, As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath So here, the city of Jericho, and at least by that mouth of this woman here, is showing us very plainly that they had heard of the terrible news that God is with Israel. And He is a God who is to be feared. And then verse 24, of that same chapter says, And they said unto Joshua... Truly, this is the spies who were sent out to go view Jericho. Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. And then in chapter 5 and verse 2, he says here, And at that time the Lord said unto... Nope, that's not it. Uh verse 1 excuse me and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea had heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their heart melted neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel so there was great fear upon them god had did that god had put the fear in them regarding the, uh, the nation of Israel. And that was something you remember He previously promised to them in the book of Exodus, for instance, and Deuteronomy, that when they go into to this foreign land, people are going to fear you. God puts that fear into their hearts. And this kept them then, at this point, from going out and warring against Israel. They were so afraid, they weren't going to make a front Towards Israel, They were going to, as it were, lay back. In fact, they were hiding behind the walls of Jericho, you remember? And they were hiding behind the walls of Ai. But now things have changed. Look in verses 1 and 2 then of our text. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and all, and all the coasts of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Pezerite and the Hibite and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So now the fear has been removed. This is all part of God's purpose in order to destroy them. I know this may sound harsh to our ears, but the sins of the Canaanite has had their fill. God is weary with them, and He's going to destroy those nations within. This is His way of punishing them, and He's going to punish them through the hand of Joshua and the armies of Israel. And so now for God... For this to take place, God has it were removed that fear and now they're ready to be gathered against him. Against Israel. In fact, we see here that they're going to be in unity. They're going, notice in verse 2, with one accord. So now we see in this chapter the nations have heard and now they are uniting to fight against Israel. So at this point, then God has removed that, uh, what we would call that paralyzing fear from them. And now they form an alliance and now they're unified against them. And rather than repenting when they heard the news of this army that has now invaded their land, just as Rahab did, rather than repenting and coming before them and seeking grace from God, rather they're armed to the teeth and ready to fight against them. Now, think about this. These nations obviously were different nations because of reasons. And a lot of times these reasons are warlike. In other words, they all have different interests. Uh, the Ammonites uh, didn't have the very same idea as the Canaanites. And so there, was, there were nations raised up. And a lot of times there was clashing against, uh, with each other. Warring, we saw that in the book of Genesis, do we not? Even with Abraham, uh, he had to go rescue his uh, nephew lot because there were some kings fighting against kings within that that, that whole area there. But now, because they hear of Israel and the God of Israel, they're quit bickering. They've come together in order to fight against God's people. So while they did have their differences and they did have their different interests among them, we see now, though, they're united together against God and His people. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, should it? This should not surprise us at all. First of all, we see this very often in Scripture that the world, the enemies of God, gang up against God's people. This is not the first instance, and neither will it be the last. But even in experience, have we not as Christians, as we seek to live as God has told us, as we live godly in this world as His people, do we find friends in the world? No. What does Paul say? Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So there's a meter, perhaps, on your godly life. Are you more at peace with the world or is the world more at war with you? That verse is true. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So it's no surprise, is it? Even with our Lord Jesus. Remember, Pilate and Herod were at odds. But when Christ came... And they had a common interest to destroy him. What happened? Remember? The scripture says in the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. So what took place? Well, once again, we see this truth here that the enemies of God will unite against us. This is no surprise. Now, it's true. There are times when God even makes our our enemies to be at peace with us. That's also a truism from Scripture. But it's just as true at times that we certainly are not loved by the world. And it shouldn't surprise us, brethren, when they reject us, when they talk about us, when they laugh at us, when they think we're too narrow, we think we're too straight, we're too... This, that, or the other. you think it, surprise, it should surprise us? No, Jesus said, if the world hates you, which it does, if the world hates you, what happened? That's because it hated Him first. And here we see this very vividly laid out, just in these two verses here. And brethren, think about this. What an exhortation for us to put aside or to demiss, dismiss some of the petty feuds that are among ourselves and unite for truth's sake. If the enemies of God can come together and be at peace with one another to fight against a cause, how much more so should God's people here, brethren, in our own church, rather than some of the silly, petty disagreements that we might have, ought to be put aside and seek to live in unity against and to unite ourselves against what is really harmful. This, again, is not an unknown thing to you, or to me, or to those of you who bicker, quite honestly. Look what the Scripture says in Ephesians 4, based on the great truths that Paul has been speaking of in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Election, predestination. Love, all those things that God has put upon His people and because they are His people. And notice what He says in verse four, or chapter four and verse one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I dare you, I dare me to bring up our own personal petty things and cause, dis- cause disruption in the house of God. You think God is pleased with that? And I don't mean just here, but what about our families? Petty things arising and believe you me i'm i can be the best at that make out what they call a, a mountain on a molehill uh, you're looking at a guy who can make lots of mountains out of little hills but brethren should we be more loving and forbearing and forgiving i'm not talking about compromising the truths of the gospel we dare not do so paul said he wouldn't stand for a moment That anyone would pervert the gospel of Christ. And so we're not talking about those kinds of things. We're talking about our personal things that can be set aside. You know, this is the whole thing, and I'm getting off on a whole different sermon today. But this is the whole issue of the idea of self-denial. That's a lost art among God's people, isn't it? Self-denial. Instead, we live or self. Making sure Mark's comfortable. Making sure Mark's got everything he needs. Making sure Mark's way is the way we ought to go. That's true. Within my own headship at home, I can basically do those things. But again, not without brethren dwelling with knowledge with my family or in our church. And if I have to do it, so do you. And it's the grace of God, just as it was in the days of Joshua, that gives us the strength and the, to go on that. Well, I'll preach away a rest of my message on this. So, let's go on and look at verses 3 through 15. A rather long section, but uh, we'll, we'll get the gist of it pretty easily here. Verses 3 through 15. We're in Joshua chapter 9. Uh, yes, 3 through 15. We'll be reading. Joshua chapter 9. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hibbites, Preadventure ye dwell among us. So they, it's, it's almost they knew it, but they didn't. And how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a far, very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, and Shihon king of Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan, which was at Asteroth Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the con- journey, and to go meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day that we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent. And these, our garments and our shoes, are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Ah, Interesting now, isn't it, how that's taken place here? We see in verses three fifteen the Gibeonites by deception here obtain a league with Joshua and Israel. You notice in verse four they do this underhandedly, and they did work wily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles and old and rent and bound up and so forth. So they're going to they're actually dwelling in the land of Canaan and near vicinity. Remember back up in verse. Uh, nine or verse one, that's the Hivites there. Well, this is a tribe of them of that nation. So they're in the vicinity, and they've heard this. Now, apparently this nation here or these folks here have become still very fearful of the fact. The other nations they're at unity together in order to destroy them, according to verse two. but there is some families within the Hivites who have said, "Wait a minute, we know what God has done for them. We've seen what it, or heard the things that have taken place there in the land of Egypt, and if we do not do something, what will happen? Well, obviously, we're going to perish at their hand. And so they devise. Excuse me. What's that? I was just going to say, weren't the Hivites the ones among listed by God for destruction? Yes, and we'll get into all that in just a moment. Uh, the point here is that they did not deal correctly with the nation of Israel except for their own interests. And notice how wily or how sneakily they did this. there in verse three or verse uh, uh, four and five, as we pointed out. So by deception then they gain this league. And they do so. and notice the wisdom, at least worldly wisdom, in doing what they did. In order to fool them, we said, "Look, we're from—we're not from around this area. We're way, way away. So, look—you can even prove—we can prove this. Look at our shoes; they're old. Look at our bread; it's molded. We took it out hot from our ovens, but look at it now—it's—it's it's decayed. Notice what they're wanting, though—they're wanting to be their servants. And so, there's another view here verse uh, 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 seven about the pre-adventure you dwell among us. That is, if we allow you to live here, what are we going to do for you? What's going to happen? How shall we get along with you? And so the plan is revealed. Well, we'll become your servants. And then notice what happens in verse 15. Joshua, as we would say, falls for it, doesn't he? And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. But notice before that in verse 14 is the telling story here. What happened? they did not seek God's counsel. So, instead of asking the Lord, instead of seeking the counsel of God, they didn't bother. And brethren, isn't that just like a lot of us? Rather than going to the Lord and seeking His wisdom, we do our own thing. Whether out of ignorance... Or were they purposely? Well, we see what happens. Now, notice in verse 16 through 21, they're found out. And it came to pass at the end of three days, only three days, notice that. And after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now, their cities were Gibeon and Cephia uh, and Baroth and kerjath And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. So now we see they're found out. Their trick didn't last very long. And isn't that just like a lie that we tell? Be sure your sin will find you out. You'll only get away with so long with your lies. And our deceit and our deception. Eventually, it's going to come out. Whether it be three days, three months, three years, the point of the matter is deception is found out. And this is what took place. And of course, the Israel here is ready to destroy them at first. They come to the cities, but then they realize who they are. Wait a minute, this is the folks we, we, we made a covenant with. We made a league with these folks. Joshua, why were you thinking? That's how they, because you notice here they were mad at the princes. Of Israel. And perhaps rightly so. But notice something else. Even though they didn't agree with them, they still obeyed. They obeyed their leaders, whether they agreed to it or not. Then notice verse 22 through 27, so we can close here. He says, uh, And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very... Far from you, when you dwell among us. Now therefore you are cursed, and there shall none of you be f- freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are in thine hand. As it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us, do. So and so did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day, hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. So we see in this verse or the section here their question. And then they're made servants. Notice something very important here. Joshua honors this league. He gave them their word, or his word. And they kept it. Psalm 15 says, One of the marks of a man who will dwell in the, in the kingdom, or in heaven, the church too, as far as that goes, is that he, when he makes a vow, he keeps it. Even to his own hurt. Even when it costs you something. If you say you're going to do it, then you better do it. Even if it costs you something. And this is what they, Joshua and and the tribes did. They honored that, even though they were deceived by it. And you would think, well, that's obviously enough to break the covenant because they weren't even right. They feared God in this matter, didn't they? Notice in verse 20, this we... Do to them. We will even let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. How important is our word then, brethren? It's easy to be flippant, isn't it? Say one thing, mean another. Say one thing, do another. That's not what Joshua, even though it cost Joshua. Well, in one sense, they were really kind of benefited, weren't they? (laughs) They got some slaves out of this. But we need to do what we say. Let me close with some applications. First of all, the necessity of seeking counsel. They didn't do it, did they? Now again, they're not fought at anywhere else in in the Bible in regards to this, except perhaps verse 14. They ask not counsel. But you know, there are many who will seek it, then there are a few who will obey it. Some of you seek my counsel, but you don't obey it. Thankful for those who do, and then do obey it. But, you know, we can say, oh yeah, I'm I believe that passage. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And the multitude of counselors, there's 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 wisdom. But when you seek it, you don't obey it. But then, what if we don't even seek it? How wrong that is. And when you say, well, is God going to be talking to me? Yeah, He does, right here. He's given us 66 books, which He counsels us. David says, thy word are my counselors. So, if you have a problem, have a question, need wisdom, what does the Scripture say? Seek God in particular, in His Word. Secondly, note here how the news of Israel's victories wrought different effects upon different people. Some of the nations, at least in verses 1 and 2, they became hardened, and now they're going to go after the children of Israel. They unite against them. So some of the nations, it caused them to be angry and warlike. To the Gibbonites, instead, it caused them to be feared. Or called, yeah, caused fear, and it caused them to seek peace. There in verse 19. Or look in 11, 19, excuse me. Sorry. And verse 18: he says, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took. In battle. Only these folks sought peace. You know, the gospel to some brings hatred, brings anger, and it brings persecution. To others, it's a savior of life in it. Some it damns further, and some it saves. Not that the gospel in and of itself does that, you understand. But the Heart of man is so wicked. That's what it brings. But notice here is a mark of sovereign grace here. The rest of the nations went their way by... And then, but, we see here, the Gibbonites. Now, what made the difference? What made the rest of the nations, when they heard about this, angry and fear, uh, uh, wanted to kill them? But it caused the... Gibbonites to fear and seek peace. What made the difference? Were the Gibbonites in reality just a little bit better folks than the rest of the people? Were they just a little bit more sound in thinking? Were they just a little bit more uh, holy in their thought processes? The answer is absolutely not. The Scripture says, it is God who maketh to differ. Why are you saved and the person perhaps sitting next to you is not? It's God who makes the difference. We ought to praise sovereign grace rather than fight in anger and be arguing against it. Thirdly, you may ask, was, and this is just to help you with this, I'm not saying I have the answer here, but the right or wrong of Israel's actions. Well, at this point, God did not fault them. Though it seems the writer Joshua, maybe as he reflects back on this in verse 14, he does note that they did not ask counsel but also, we can remember you, uh, God honored this league. You remember that? Think of him with me a minute. You say, how did that take place? Like when did God, God himself honored this oath to be at peace with them. How do I know that? Remember when Saul was king? He killed some of the... Actually, he made war against the Gibbonites. And then, of course, Saul and his army is defeated a little later on by the Philistine. And David is now in charge of the country. And God brings a plague upon Israel. And David seeks the Lord, Why have you done this? And it's revealed to him because Saul went to war against the Gibeonites. And David said, What do I do? He says, You go, and the point was, he was to take some of the sons of Saul, some of his relatives, and put them to death so that God would be appeased and the land would be at rest. So it seemed God honored this, didn't He? Be careful with our words. God is really listening, isn't He? Notice verse 24. We live in a day when there is a whole lot of talk about liberty. There's a whole lot of talk about liberty is more precious than life itself. The Gibbonites didn't think so. Look at verse 24. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. They were more fearful of dying than being enslaved. But that's not what we hear today, is it? The very opposite. That's cost our sons' and our daughters' lives. I'm not saying there's not a point that we ought to defend ourselves, not even going in that direction. I believe we ought to. But, again, there ought to be a perspective on these things that is God's rather than are necessarily our own. Another issue, we won't even get into that. But that's something to think about, isn't it? Remember when... Uh, uh, Joshua or uh, Joseph had the land, and or was trying to help the, the Egyptians during that great thing. They finally came to him, and they said, "Take everything. Take us. It's better than that than we die." Not what you hear today makes you wonder, doesn't it? Then fifthly and lastly, in the end here, we see that the Gibbonites sought mercy with Joshua. And notice here it was granted, even under the deceptive means, but nonetheless it was granted. And will it not here this morning, sinner, make you seek mercy through Jesus Christ? This is an encouragement. If those folks could receive that even under those means, how much more does God stand ready to forgive sinners who come by way of Jesus Christ? All that cometh to me, he says. I will in no wise cast out.